Praise the Lord. If you agree with all that we've done in worship, would you give an amen? Amen. I want to invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. And as you turn there, I want to remind you guys that for the whole summer, we have been walking through the book of Nehemiah in a summer series entitled Rebuild. And you know what? There has been, you know, this season has been new for us, right? This COVID-19. You guys are probably sick of saying COVID-19 or the coronavirus, but that is the reality of our life right now. And I think Nehemiah is very appropriate because it's allowing us to discover how we face um, these situations in the unknowns, right? What What is the future going to look like? And we thank God that we live by faith and not by sight. But as you turn to the book of Nehemiah, I want to remind you a series theme that we've been saying for the last eight and now nine weeks. It says that God will do what he has to do to fix our eyes on him. I want you to meditate on that. I want you to think about all the things that you have encountered, you are encountering, and you will encounter for the last few months, right? God is doing what he has to do. Maybe that is coronavirus. Maybe that is COVID-19. Maybe that's something totally else, right? Whether your kid's going to school next week or we're pushing it back a while, whatever the case is, the, the real understanding of living by faith is that God will do what he has to do to fix our eyes on him. I was encouraged last week as Coach Ian preached on chapter 8 and how he made, and this is what we looked at, right? As he exegete chapter 8, he looked at the importance of the word of God. Uh, we saw the desire. We saw the desire wanting to know God in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. The people they did what they had to do to fix their eyes on the Lord. And you know, for the last few weeks, we've been looking at what they had to do was they had to build a wall, a significant project that took uh, uh, fairly well quickly, right? And after the wall was completed, they thanked God for the endurance. They thanked God for the protection, and they continued to thank God. And one of the ways they continued to thank God was in adoration exaltation, and praise. And so, as we jump into chapter 9 today, I want us to look at something in continuation to chapter 8, and it's the urgency of worship gatherings. I hope you know, you're Alakai at Ohana Church. We value the gathering of God's people. Like today, I, I, I want to thank you, mahalo everyone, that you guys allowed my family to rest uh, for a few weeks so that we could get away, uh, regenerate and recuperate and have some, have some new life into our mission here at Ohana Church. And unfortunately today we can't gather because of COVID-19 and the 14-day quarantine. And since we live on the property, um, we, we want to follow and be a good testimony to our neighbors and to our communities and islands. And so, thank you so much for participating online today. And as we seek God today, as Nehemiah and the people, I want us to see why worship is important. Specifically, the gathering of God's people coming together and why we need to be urgent of it. One of the core, one of the values in our church, right, is the gospel. 
And the way we flesh that out is through the urgency of the gospel. And I believe, though this is the Old Testament, and we don't hear the word the gospel until the New Testament, we see some tangible reality truths that allows us to focus on God the same way Nehemiah and the people of God worshiped God in chapter 8 and now in chapter 9. So would you stand with me in the reading of God's perfect word? We're just going to read verses 1 to 3 in chapter 9. And we're going to pray that God teaches us what it means to be urgent about the gathering of believers and worship. Amen. Now on the 20th, 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. Lord, we come to you, and God, we will let you know that we don't have it all together, starting with your church. Starting with Ohana Church, we don't have it all together, but we know you do. And God, just like the people and Nehemiah, we surrender to you. We submit to you. Lord, we pray that what we absorb today will be credited to you, God. Holy Spirit of God, minister to us. And may we give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory with which you are due for. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and God's ohana says loud and proud, wherever you are. Amen. You may be seated. Noho ilalo. Uh, there is a key reality to what's going on today, and it is worship. It's the gathering of God's people. And I want to be very clear. The gathering of God's people, when we say worship, the first thing we think about, right, is songs, right? Music. When we think about it in the church, we say, oh, what kind of worship do you do? What kind of style, what, what style of worship do you do? Or what time does worship start? We usually connect that with music. And for me, many of you know my background. I grew up in a charismatic church. Uh, and it was very high and energetic in their worship experience and expression, right? They, the, the expressions of our worship was highly practice and encourage in all our families growing up in a charismatic church, the lifting of hands, the shouting, the dancing, the speaking in unknown tongues, um, being slain in the spirit. For some of you who don't know what that means, that means the pastor would touch your head and you would fall back in the spirit, right? Also, we move on to modern day prophecies and future visions were announced in these worship gatherings I was, I was growing up. And you know, I questioned a lot of it. As I grew up right here in Hilo Tom, majority of the churches followed a charismatic theology and movement. And I believe there was some genuine worship in there. But also, I believe there are some issues in this movement and continue on in this movement today that really I'm pressed and I'm challenged and I'm convicted that it is not biblical. And so today, what I want to do is I want to give clarity about what it means to worship God together when we assemble. And, and here's the deal, right? 
when it comes to biblical worship, worship is a biblical lifestyle. More than the music, right? More than the expression of worship, more than of music, more than styles of songs. Um, this means that our worship, and I want to be very clear, right? Since it's a biblical style, lifestyle, this means that our worship should be always guided by Scripture. And, and that's what it means when we are saying that we're gospel-centered. We're saying that we're gospel-centered. We're saying that we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, meaning that Scripture is enough. And because the Scripture is enough and the Scripture points us to the Lord, God is sufficient. And we can know Him rightfully as we worship Him through Scripture. I believe that is true for these three verses today in the book of Nehemiah chapter 9. I would say that everything we have talked about from chapters 1 all the way to chapter 9 is worship. Are you listening to me, right? Everything we're talked about, right? From Nehemiah's prayer to the Persian king sending him back to Jerusalem after captivity, right? To the conflict between the outsiders on building the wall to finishing the wall to getting to this worship experience and assembly that's happening in this. It's worship. It's, all, it's a lifestyle. What we say, what we do, you know, what, what, we, what we don't say and what we don't do, right? Those are important when it comes to worship. And I thank God that the core of their worship, right, in chapters 8, and chapters 9 today was rooted in the reading of Scripture. And let me give you some more clarity on this, right? This was not done, this worship experience with Nehemiah and the people was not done, right, based on Nehemiah copy, being a copycat of the church down the road, right? They didn't look at the cool, hip church down the road. They didn't see this cool social media church that's reaching thousands and thousands of people. No, all they had at this point was the word. Well, let me be honest to you. All we have today is the word. And it's sufficient. It's enough. And this was done because God displayed himself through what chapter 8 says, the law of Moses. Now, deeper than the law of Moses, Dr. H.A. Ironside concludes in Nehemiah chapter 8 of his commentary of, on worship that throughout time, the Word of God contains all His people's needs for spiritual food and daily guidance, right? The Word of God. Another way we would call this approach would be hermeneutics, right? This is a big word for you and maybe even for me, right? But really what this means, hermeneutics is how we study the Word of God. I'm so excited that you have leaders here and even members here that are learning what it means, the right way and the wrong way to study. The right way is exegesis, right? Means that we lead from the text, right? And the wrong way is called eisegesis, which means that we lead into the text with our own opinions, our own mana'o, right? And we believe one of the headlines of studying Scripture, a right hermeneutical way of studying Scripture is this principle. We've said it for many times, but I believe we should hold on to it. Because since the Word of God is sufficient for us, this is what we should hold on to, that Scripture should always interpret Scripture. 
It's not enough that I put my opinions in there. It's not enough that I put my experience in there. It's not enough for me to put in what I, how I grew up and I was raised into there. That's, that's all secondary. There's value to it, but it's secondary. Primarily, God has to show us something. God has something to say. And he has made it clear in his word, right? I want you to look what the psalm says in Psalms 19, right? The psalmist, David, says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. If there is anything we see in this one verse is that God's word is perfect. And I'll be very honest with you. Until you submit to that reality, your life will struggle beyond the means God has intended you to struggle in relationship to him. One of the best ways we can identify, right, our needs, our need for the Lord, it's through the scriptures. And look, this understanding should be the authority and sufficiency of every part of our worship, the word of God. Listen to me, saints of God. Ohana, listen to me. We must submit to it. We must value it above everything else. We must unite in it. And listen to me. We must worship from it. It is the word of God that is clear in chapter 8 and in chapter 9 that Nehemiah and the people made known their confession to God. And I'm convicted of this. I am so convicted of this. As I sat down with Kahu Marcus this week, I was sharing with him how I'm convicted for our church. Do they understand that the scripture is sufficient? When we talk about God, are we talking about the God of scripture? Or are we talking about God from culture? Like what American culture Christianity says. The progressive Christianity, right? What does that mean? Like people are going beyond scripture. They're looking for signs and wonders beyond scripture. In fact, some of these apostates, people who were Christians but walked away from the faith, is now saying that you could be a Christ. You could be a Lord. You could be your own. And that breaks my heart. May we teach the sufficiency of Scripture. As Nehemiah and the people of God devoted their lives to the Word of God here in these two chapters, let's follow suit. Let's unite in it, right? Let's worship from it. And so, so with this conviction, I want us to use one biblical point, right? One biblical reality with seven supportive points in addition to this one main point. And this main point I want us to drive for the urgency of our worship gatherings is this. We see the order of the assembly, right? Verses one to three. It's recorded that the people responded in seven specific ways to God. And the first one, we've exhausted so much, right? The first one is that they gathered together. Look at verse 1. It says, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled, right? Another word for gathering. They made this a priority, which made this biblical gathering resulting in unity, 
The psalmist says that, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. This is what the assembly does. The assembly brings about unity. In fact, in the last chapter, we talked about the, the, the festival of boots or of the tabernacle, right? The Israelites had specific festivals that they would gather in thanking God for how he's rescued them, how he's restored them, how he redeemed them from oppression and persecution of outside nations. Specifically, let's talk about Moses, right? Moses and his people, the Israelites, were rescued from Egypt in the hand of Pharaoh. When they gathered in the name of God, what resulted in that gathering was unity. And this unity would be the springboard in which what would follow next in our verses today. What follows is, secondly, we see that they fasted together. In, the same, in this situation, they probably did a complete fast. As many scholars believe, this was how dedicated and how desperate they were for God. And this was hard. If you remember, if you've been with us for the last few weeks or through the whole summer series, you would know that in chapter 5, a few weeks ago, the poor, uh, the poor people of God was not able to buy or purchase or make food. They weren't able to grow food. They weren't able to get food because they were stuck in the city. And so what they would do is that they would sell their children into slavery for the upper class of God's people, right? And so that they could purchase food from one another. And you know that Nehemiah steps up and Nehemiah gives his own food to all the people. And I want you to see this very clear. They fasted even in the treachery of their starvation. They fasted even in the treachery of their starvation. Though they were starving, though they were limited in food, God was so, so good. God was so worthy that they fasted even more to fix their eyes on him, even in the hardship of what they were going through. That is worship. That is praise. And listen to me. They did it together, right? Thirdly, we see that they were clothed in Humility. Look at verses two, right? Uh, verse two, oh, verse one again. It says that they fasted and they wore sackcloth and had earth on their heads. Let me give you some background on that. Sackcloth was made out of goat skin. And then the earth that was on their head was actually dirt. This is actually a practice that, uh, that Jews still practice till this day. It was a sign of and demonstration of sorrow and a posture of repentance to God. They would wear rough clothing. And at the same time, as they wear rough clothing, they would throw ashes or dirt on their head, repenting to God for forgiveness of their sins. And let me say it again. This assembly, they did it together. Number four, we see that they separated themselves from the world. In verse 2, God's people separated themselves from what we know out in verse 2 as for the foreigners. And I want us to hang out here for just a few minutes. And I want you to see that these foreigners they were talking about was actually the foreigners that came with Nehemiah and the people on the journey from Persia. The king of Persia 
granted Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem, right? And as he, as he let them go back to Jerusalem, he sent some of his people with them to be a part of the building of the wall. I think they should encourage us, right? Right now, right now, it, it's very, very clear. The way they honored God was separating themselves from the world. These foreigners did not believe that Yahweh or Jehovah was the one true God. Therefore, they separated from each other for a time being. And as we look in the text, here's a truth. This is what I believe is a conviction for our heart as the church, right? Here's a biblical truth. The worship gathering is primarily for those who belong and worship God. Now, let's look into this, right? Some churches today will use their main gatherings, whether it's Sunday, Saturday night, whatever it is these days, right? They will use these main gatherings to be very evangelistic. So they will do some, the cool music, the cool events, the cool, all, all on this main gathering time. And, and we're not completely against that, but we see all through Scripture that primarily the gathering of believers in God was for believers primarily. I want you to look at that. This, this is called consecration, right? And consecration is the separation of oneself from things that are unclean, especially anything that would contaminate one's relationship with a perfect God, right? This is connected with words like sanctification, holiness, and purity. These are words that would fit this this description of consecration. We, we also see all throughout the Old Testament on how the Lord called his people to consecrate themselves, to set, to set themselves apart from anything that would keep their eyes off of God, the exact opposite of what we're seeking in this series this summer. For example, Joshua 3 Verse 5, as Israel prepared to cross the Jordan and take hold of the promised land, Joshua has his people consecrate themselves. There are both similarities and differences in now Nehemiah and Joshua as they both consecrated, right? Uh, the difference is exactly they're hundreds of years apart, but there's more difference between that. In Joshua, they consecrated themselves in preparation for the promised land while coming out of 40 years of walking in the wilderness. Why did they walk in the wilderness in circles for 40 years? Because they sinned against God. And so the consecration was reminding them of this sin and asking God to press them forward into this land, right? How is it different from Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah, they consecrated themselves in praising God for returning back to the promised land after 70 years of exile. Why were they in exile? Because they sinned against God. You see this rhythm and this circle of continuous sinning against God in the Old Testament, right? God redeems man's sin. God redeems man's sin. And let's be very specific. We're talking about his people, his family, his ohana, right? Israel, right? And we see something that's beautiful. I, want, I don't want you to miss it, right? I want you to see it. We see something beautiful in this. And this is what we see. As we worship God, we see a faithful God who deeply loves his people. And he deeply loves you. 
He deeply loves me. And because of this, we see a people right now in chapter 9 who renounces all outside beliefs and persuasions for their allegiance to God. Can I be honest with you? Some of you are really jumping on the bandwagon, right, of things in this context and this time that is not of the Lord. And as I seek God and as I watch social media posts all day, our language are turning more into the opposite of God's scriptures, right? How we are addressing things, we're trying to fix things with political means, right, with new vaccines or non-vaccines, whatever the case is. But the reality is, listen to me, we cannot steer away from what God has called us to embrace, his word. Everything that's going on right now in Nehemiah chapter 9 and chapter 8 of last week is people being devoted to the scriptures. And if there is anything that should look different from everything else, it should be the public gathering of God's people. We should look different from the world. Number five, we see that they stood and read scripture. And I want you to see something that Ian brought up last week that I would I would emphasize on even more is that there was a seriousness of this expression. How do we know they were serious? Because if you look at the text, it said that they stood there for literally six hours, a quarter of the day. Listen to me, for six hours, right? They stood. And for six hours, they worshiped God by reading scripture. Right? I know you're thinking like me. Well, where's Kahu going right now? He just came back from vacation. What are these changes we're going to make right now? Are we going to stand for six hours? Are we going? If God calls us to, amen, we'll do it. That is the seriousness of worship for these people. And I want you to see that this is consistent, right, with how God's people worship all throughout the Old Testament. Number six, we see that in standing and reading the word, another six-hour period took place, and they confessed their sins. They confessed their sins for six hours. This is mentioned as a prayer. This is God's people, the holy remnant, the chosen, the elect, the predestined, or whatever word you want to use, right, that the scripture tells us. They were confessing their evilness and their unrighteousness to God. And here are a couple things. I want you to be comforted by. Number one, they did it in public. Now, the lie of the devil and the enemy is that we should not share our sins. We should hide out, right, like Adam and Eve, hiding from God. But the beauty of God's God's power through the scriptures is that we make known our confessions of sin, right? And listen to me. They did it together. They weren't pointing the finger of who's more sinful, who's less sinful. They were all together, Nehemiah including, saying, we are all sinful, God, and we are in need of your forgiveness. Secondly, we see this, that they did it without condemning one another. Now, the word condemnation and the word judgment sometimes has two different meanings, right? To condemn means to have a final say, right? To judge rightfully means to correct, 
right? And so we hear Christians all the time saying, man, there's only one judge out there. But the way the judge articulates the scriptures is that we should rightfully judge or correct one another. And I will go a step further. We should look for correction individually too. Like I should go to my alakai. I need you to tell the man, is there something in my heart, right? And now I'll be honest with you, that doesn't happen all the time. But there has been time where, man, I'm struggling with my sin and God's word pierces my heart. And, and he reminds me of the Proverbs where he talks about wisdom and getting seeking counsel. We should not just be open to receiving correction, but we should also be open to going to people and asking them, man, is there anything in my life that you're seeing that needs correction? From a biblical view, I think that is worship. That is a form of worship. They, these people, Nehemiah and these people, they confess of God's faithfulness to them, even while admitting that their fathers and their father's fathers and their father's fathers continues to sin against God. And God, in his grace and his mercy, forgives them, forgives us. And then finally, to wrap up all this together, we see in verse 4 on a true, the true result of worship, that God's people in all these ways worship him, right? In their clothing, in their posture, in the reading and the standing of the word, in the confessing of their sin, they worship. And this is where some of you, your, your part come in, right, that you love. They sung to the Lord. This worship literally means that they sung to the Lord. And they were worship leaders who led them into this worship. They were called the Levites. The Levites were the priests. A host of them would lead God's people in worship. And here are the words they used to surround their worship as a, an assembly to God. Look at verse 5. It says in Nehemiah Verse 5 at the latter part, it says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. There is a turning point for us today. Like, how does this minister to you today? Right? We're not living in the Old Testament. We're not even living in the New Testament. Well, what does this look like for us today? Well, nothing much has changed but one reality. And I want to say that, share this in reality truth. Nehemiah and the people worship God in the coming of the Messiah. But we today worship God in the return of the Messiah. Today we claim that Messiah to be, help me out, Jesus, Right? In the Old Testament, Nehemiah and the people knew him as what Isaiah called him. He's a few hundred years before Nehemiah's time, right? In Isaiah 7, 14, he says, this child shall be born and his name shall be, say it with me, Emmanuel, right? And then 700 years later, after Isaiah, Matthew affirms his writings in his gospel of chapter 1, verse 23, that they would name him Emmanuel, so you have the Old Testament and the New Testament affirming that God will send a perfect Savior to us, his son, Jesus, right? And that's what we see in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 1, that the people will call his name 
Jesus. Why? Because the name Jesus means that God is our salvation. I want you to think about this today, wherever you are. Worship is always about Jesus. As Nehemiah and the people prepared for a coming Messiah, today we know that Messiah already arrived. He came through a perfect, miraculous birth through a virgin, right? He lived a perfect, sinless life. He ministered to thousands upon thousands of Israelites and Samaritans and Gentiles all around the Galilean coast. And the same people that he ministered to, he healed, he shared the gospel to, the coming kingdom of God would be the same people who would reject him and deny him and put him on a cross, right? And nailed him. But we know from Isaiah 53 that that had to happen so that the sins of the world may be forgiven on this perfect lamb of God, Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. If you don't know him, know him today. Know that your sins has been forgiven. Would you receive him today? Would you repent of your sins just like Nehemiah and the people of God? That they confessed their dying sin, that their sin was sending them straight to hell but they remember the words and the laws of Moses that is pure and is holy and what we have to do in response to God's goodness is ask God for forgiveness. Jesus has atoned for your death. For your penalty. Jesus had made a covering for you today. Would you repent on his name? And, and for you Christians out there, right? We just don't repent for just conversion. We're good. We said a prayer. We're done. It's more than that. There is a daily renewal of repentance. For Jesus said, right? If any man want to follow me, he must what? Deny himself. Listen to me. The greatest thing God has given us today is reminding us that we are called to repent of our sin. And I want to be very clear. I know there's different theology in there. Jesus did not rescue you so that he would just damn you and leave you. It's not up to you to live the Christian life. Jesus said to his disciples that he will send his spirit. And his spirit, right, the wonderful counselor, would teach us everything. He would convict us of all truth. And what we say at Ohana Church is that we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for, progress, for progression. And if we see progression, understanding that God's grace humbles us, God's mercy humbles us, then the famous scripture that everybody quote is true. That for God to love the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, this is not a belief based on the will of man or the will of flesh, but based on a gift that's given to us by God from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Would you trust in Jesus today? Would you receive him as your Lord and Savior for you, Christian? Would you be reminded to, to surrender to the sufficiency of Scripture and the sufficiency of Jesus? and the sufficiency of his spirit, and the sufficiency of the Father. And what God starts in us, he will complete. It has always been his power, his might, his plan to redeem his people from sin. So what do we do? 
Like, where do we go from here, right? For us who are waiting for the Messiah to return now since he's been here already, right? Since he died and he rose and he ascended into heaven. Like, what do we do now? The author of Hebrews gives us a perfect answer to that question. Chapter 10, verse 23 to 25, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider, and let us consider the church of God, God's Ohana, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I can't say it better than the author here, which is the Holy Spirit. A mark of one who belongs to God hungers to be with God's people. That's a true mark. And this is how I want us to devote our lives moving forward. Number one, would you devote your lives to gathering together and worshiping Jesus together? Unless the laws change by the next couple of days, we still plan to meet next Sunday. I want to encourage you, come, be a part of the assembly. Secondly, let's grow together in the scriptures. Let us acknowledge God's word as being sufficient for you, for me, for those who belong to God and those who will belong to God. And then lastly, let's go together in declaring the gospel. I remember I just contacted our J Japanese partners a few weeks ago through social media telling them that we're praying for them, we miss them, and we love them. And the matter of fact of it, the virus is hurting everybody. But there is a day that's here that we can continue to pray for each other, continue to encourage each other, and to continue to lift up the name of Jesus. So I go back to my beginning thought, right? Let's be urgent about our worship gathering because like Nehemiah and the people of God, it is in those worship gatherings that we can be healed together spiritually, physically, and that God will send us out to advance this glorious gospel that is placed in eternity when people respond.